Um, probably about a year ago, I was talking to Tree. I said, I'm trying to find some of the more dynamic preachers that we can find uh, that don't live a thousand miles away. And uh, Tree had recommended Chris Morgan. He said that he's hard to get, but if you can get him, he's really good. And uh, so I texted him a couple of three times and, and then I finally heard back from him. And he has just been a real blessing to us. I got to warn you, though, have I got any uh, Louisville fans in the room? All right. He is a Louisville person, okay? Hey, let me hear it for Louisville, okay? Sorry for the football game. I mean, uh, <laughs> anyway, he is the um, chaplain for all of the sports team at the University of Louisville and the director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so we're really blessed. He's a dynamic communicator. You'll find that out in just a few moments. Come over here, Chris. Let's pray for him and for the ministry that he has there. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Chris. We thank you for his faith. We thank you for his humble spirit and his willingness to share your word. I pray that you would bless his ministry there on the campus of the University of Louisville. Use him, Father, and guide him and protect him. And, and may you be glorified through all that he does there. We pray that he speaks today. As he speaks, that you will speak through him, through grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through clarity and truth. And may we apply that to our lives. Bless his family as he's away from them today, his wife and his kids. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, amen. God bless you. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for having me. Um, anytime you speak in the state of Kentucky, you always have that, um, that thing against Big Blue Nation. Um, that when, he, when you come from the University of Louisville and you're out throughout the state, there's predominantly a lot of blue and that's okay. My wife was a cheerleader at the University of Kentucky, um, so that's, that's a fantastic thing. I remember one time I was speaking in Pikeville, and um, I'm, I make my way to Pikeville, and I pull in to get some gas, and I get my gas, and I go inside to pay for it, and I, I ha- honestly, I had a University of Louisville polo shirt on, and I walk in, and the lady at, behind the register said, honey, are you lost? <laughs> and I said, no, ma'am, I don't, I don't think I am. She said, well, you're lost if you're wearing that shirt. Um, you know, I, I get a chance. The Lord has allowed me to speak um, at various places, and I'm honored to be able to do that. Um, people ask a lot of times, do you get nervous speaking? And the answer is, without a doubt, is a no. I really feel pretty comfortable standing here hiding behind this Bible here in just a second. But I, I do get, I get nervous when I'm standing. That's an awkward feeling when you don't know what uh, you're going to be introduced with or as. And um, so let, let me kind of tell you just a little bit about myself. I'm a, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. That's, that is a proper fitting introduction for me because there is there's nothing outside of the, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I really have nothing to brag about. I, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. But I, I feel like we have made this Bible a lot more complicated than what it really is. It's, it's really not that complicated of a book. Um, it's 40 authors, 66 books, 40 authors, covers a span of over 1,500 years, but there's only one theme um, to the Bible, and the one theme is the glory of God. So if, if I could maybe just kind of set the, the whole setting of the Bible, if somebody was going to say, how would you kind of give a brief introduction of the Bible, I would probably say 
something like this. I would say that um, in the beginning, that there was, um, there's the anticipation. They're anticipating someone that's coming. And they're spending the whole Old Testament talking about that, the anticipation of someone that's coming. And then you have um, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the manifestation that the guy that they're talking about in the Old Testament, now he's here. You can see him. You can touch him. He's there. He's walking in the flesh. That, that he is manifested in the flesh. And then you have the book of Acts. That's the proclamation. That that's the beginning of the church. That's, that's people like myself and you that we're coming together. We're talking about it. We're proclaiming this man named Jesus. And then you have 13 letters that Paul wrote. That that's the explanation. That, that that's our conduct manual. If you're an athlete, that's your playbook. That that's, that's how you and I are supposed to go out and execute what our coach, our head coach, has told us to do. And then you have the book of Revelation. That's the consummation. That one day we believe as Christians that one day Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And, and please hear me when I say this, that if you have a relationship, if you have a relationship, if, if you have a relationship with Christ, this will be the closest. This will be the closest to hell you ever get. Just listen to me talk today. If you have a relationship, this will be the closest to hell you ever get. But let me, let me, on the flip side of that, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, this will be the closest to heaven you ever get. So I hope you, you enjoy it. You know, it's probably a, it's not a proverb, but it probably should be. Blessed are the brief and you'll be asked back. If you're long, you'll never be asked back. But um, my mentor, Bob Russell, Bless his heart, about 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, I was preaching my first sermon on a Sunday morning, and I asked him, I said, Bob, how long should I go? And he said, um, Chris, what I want you to do is I want you to gauge yourself on what kind of speaker you think you are. One is a poor, and ten is excellent. And I could tell that he wanted me to grade myself right there on the phone. So I said, okay, I'm ready. He said, you got a score? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, okay, subtract two because you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> and multiply that by five, and that's how many minutes you have. So I'm going to close it up here in just a minute. We'll be, we'll be done. All right. He was given the title, the ugliest man to have ever lived. Think about that title for just a second. The ugliest man to have ever lived, John Merrick. He was given the nickname, the elephant man. At age four, he was abandoned um, by his mother. At the age of 14, he was taken in by a circus owner. And this circus owner looked at John Merrick and he said, I have plans for you, John. You're going to be a circus sideshow attraction. People from all over would come to witness the ugliest man to have ever lived. And guess what? That circus owner was right. He set up tent and people would circle around the tent just to get a peek at the elephant man. There were many people that leave screaming. There were many people that were terrified and just peeked in. But people came from all over. But hope would come. Hope came when a man by the name of Dr. Frederick Treves got in line. And he made his way around the circus tent. And he walked into the tent. And he approached John Merrick, and here's what he said. He said, John, I want you to come and visit with me. I want you to come see me at my office. I want to spend some time with you. And what started out as a doctor and patient relationship grew. Grew into an authentic friendship. A friendship. That is the gospel. That is the gospel that sin disforms us, that it isolates us. John Merrick was given the title, the ugliest man, but by definition, you would automatically get another term. 
the most lonely man to have ever lived. Sin disfigures us, it isolates us, it pushes us off to ourselves. But I love this verse in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That that verse tells me, but God embraces me in my isolation. He brings me, he reconciles me to himself. That is the gospel. We're going to look at some, some scripture today. And it's very similar. It's very similar to John Merrick. It's, it's very similar to Tree Acres. It's very similar to me. It's very similar to your pastor. It's very similar to you. That as we start to polish it off, it will make sense to us. So let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father, I, I thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, I pray for just the next couple moments, Lord, as we um, dive into your word. God, may, may it ever change forever change us. God, make us more um, like you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 5, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context. Um, Jesus comes on the scene and everyone wants to get close to Jesus. Everyone from surrounding countries, they're coming around, they want to spend some time with Jesus. And in context of Luke chapter 5, the people are pressing against Jesus. The backdrop is the Sea of Galilee. And as they're pressing towards Jesus, basically Jesus gets into a a smaller boat and they push him out just a little bit where now he's speaking to the people. And as he's speaking to the people, there's people from all over, but there are some fishermen that are cleaning their nets. When Jesus is finishing his message, he comes to the shore and he looks over at the fishermen and he basically says, let's let's go fishing. Now, I'm probably thinking that these fishermen, um, they have been fishing all night. They fished at night because it was cooler at night. They have caught nothing. So now Jesus is asking them to go somewhere that they have just spent time. I'm sure that some of the fishermen may have thought to themselves, hey, Jesus, why don't you stick to preaching and you let me stick to fishing? But Jesus, since you said, we'll go. So the disciples or the people get into a boat and they, and, and they go out and they start to fish. And Jesus is telling them to throw their nets on the other side for a great catch. And I'm sure I'm thinking that the fishermen are probably thinking, hey, man, well, this is our, this is what we do for a living. But since you said, and, and they throw their nets out and the Bible says that they catch such a big catch that they're, they pull this in and their boats start to sink. They're calling for some of their friends to come close to them and, and, and grab some of these fish. And, and finally, they, they land this catch. It's not one of those fish stories that you're talking to one of your friends and say, yeah, I caught a bass. It was, it was that long. No, no, they land it. They land the catch. Think about that for just a moment. They could have retired on that catch. That was at the pinnacle of a fisherman's career to catch a, a catch like that. But yet I love what Jesus asked them to do in Luke 5. He says, I want you to leave it. I want you to leave that catch, and I want you to come, and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. Think about the ridicule. Think about the people that made fun of them. What do you mean you're going to leave this? 
and go follow this man named Jesus. What are the perks in that? Well, I mean, what, what are you doing? This is, this is your 401k. This is your portfolio. This is, this is your retirement. This is everything. But they left it and followed Jesus. And he says that I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what those people look like. They're, they're not people that would have been at the, 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 the top of their profession in athletics or the top of their career at their, their business firm. They, these were people that at the core, they look, they're John Merrick's, okay, and they're, they're you and they're me. And we're going to look at three different ones that are mentioned. We're only going to look at one, but the three that are mentioned are a leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector. And for time's sake, we'll just look at one. Let's look at the text in verse 12 and 13. I'll read it, and then we'll kind of polish it off, and I think it's going to make sense. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately the leprosy left him. You know, I did a study on leprosy. And when you look at leprosy, um, there, there are several things that happen. And I can see why it's a great typology and similarity of the Bible of sin. But here's what leprosy does. It, it is a, a, a death by inches. It's a slow, agonizing death. The first thing that happens is it, it affects your circulatory system, that it actually affects your blood flow, that the blood will stop in your fingers and in your toes, and the fingers and toes become degenerate, and they'll, they'll basically fall off. So it really, it really mangles you. The second thing it does is it, it gives you, um, you get pussy sores all on your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, just incredible irritation. The next thing it does is it affects your senses, your sight, your hearing, um, your sense of taste, your sense of touch. All of your senses will slowly but surely start um, to deteriorate. It's also said that, that leprosy is very contagious. So what it did was it, it, it isolated you completely. They said that a leper, what a leper would do is a leper would have to put a bell around his or her neck. And when they came within 50 yards of someone, they had to ring the bell and they would have to say these words, unclean, 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 I'm unclean, so that everyone would flee your presence. Another thing that they would do is people would take rocks and they would stone people out of the cities because they did not want anyone to come into their city that was contaminated, so to speak, with leprosy. Can you see the, um, the similarities that people would say sometimes with sin? That sin is a death by inches. That slowly but surely it starts to isolate us. You're removed. You're removed from a marriage. A husband would lose a wife. A wife would lose a husband. Um, kids would lose parents. So you would lose um, relationally, but you would also lose um, ceremonially. Church. Fellowship, synagogues, you would be gone. You would be pushed out of the city. Do you see the similarities of this? Sin always over promises but under delivers. 
It's like sin lures us. I used the fishing illustration earlier from Luke 5. But in the same context, basically what we can do is sin, sin knows it, what it is doing to us. That if, if someone, two people were fishing and one was over here catching everything and I was fishing really, really close to him and not getting a bite, my response would be to this person, excuse me, what are they hitting on? And if he's using a spinnerbait, you for sure bet that I am going to get a spinnerbait and put it on my pole as well. Isn't it really crafty that Satan knows exactly what we're hitting on? That as he throws out that lure, so to speak, he knows that it's greed. He knows that it's lust. He knows that it's jealousy. He knows what each and every one of us are hitting on. In this text that we just read, this man was full of leprosy. Jesus was in the town, meaning that everyone was around. Everyone was in the city. But now this man, this leper that the Bible says is full of leprosy, probably stumbles his way into the city. He's probably, his skin is probably white. It's probably pale. He probably has all kinds of pussy sores all over his body. His fingers are probably mangled. His toes are probably mangled. And it says when he was in one of the cities, a man full of leprosy fell on his face. Now, I did it the first service. And I'll do it this one as well. Can, I want you to get this picture of this man laying at the feet of Jesus. You have to get that picture because there's several things that are this happening right there. You may say, yes, he's laying at his feet because he wants to show reverence. Probably. But I think it needs to be taken a step further. This man is laying on his feet because he is making a point. He is saying, I'm now laying at the feet of Jesus out of reverence, but I want you to know that your rocks will not push me out of the city today. You are not going to push me away from the presence of the Lord today. If you want to get me out of the city today, you are going to have to touch me. This man is in a desire to be touched by someone. And he's laying at the feet of Jesus. And notice what he says to him. He's laying at the feet of Jesus and he says, Lord. Don't miss that title. Lord. If you are willing. Meaning you don't have to do this. Notice that that my contribution to salvation was this. I simply got lost. I hear people all the time say, I found God, I found God. He ain't lost. He knows where he is going. I'm lost. And sometimes I wish we lived in the world of the cable TV preachers. Where you just, um, you accept Christ, you never get sick, you never gain weight, you, you just, it's perfect existence, you drive a Lexus, your bank account's always perfect. Uh, it, that's not what we sign up for. That's, that's not true. That's actually not biblical. This man is laying in desperation, saying, I need a touch from Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice he didn't say heal. You can heal me. He said, you can make me clean. What I think that this man is saying, he's saying, 
You can make it where I can hug my wife again, Lord. You can make it where I can hold hands with my husband again. You can make it where I can put our children on our lap again. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean where I can, I can come in fellowship again with my community of believers. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I don't know if there's anyone in here right now that maybe just needs relationships restored. Maybe you feel distant from a husband or a wife. Feel distant from a mom or from a dad. Feel distant from your community. And you feel like you are off into a faraway land with people full of leprosy. If you're willing, you can restore me. You can bring me back into fellowship. And I love verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand, touched him. Imagine if you were just in the city and you saw this happen, happening. You would say, wow, who is this man that he would even touch a leper? Who is this man that would touch a sinner? Who is this? You know what? It's easy for me to love people that look like me. That go to the same place as me. That do all the things that I do. This is countercultural. This little thing that we're talking about, this is counterintuitive. This man is touching someone that other people would call a reject, an outcast. But yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is touching this person that was considered to be an outcast. What I've come to realize is that a good editor always remembers when they were a journalist. A good head coach always remembers when they were a GA. A good principal always remembers when they were a teacher. A good Christian, and I use that term very lightly, good Christian, remembers when they were lost. Do you remember what that feeling was like with no hope? With putting our faith and trust in things of the world? Blaise Pascal says this, that we were all created with a, he says, a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole in our heart that we try to fill with things of the world. Does that sound familiar? That we, we, we try to jam things. I remember playing college football, and I surely football would make me happy. So I jammed football down to that small place in my heart because surely it would fit. And I tried my hardest only to be very disappointed that it wouldn't fit. Then my college football coach came in on a bus on um, our last football game and said, gentlemen, I want all you report back to the office Monday to turn in your equipment. Just like that, my identity was taken. But I tried to jam it, and it wouldn't fit. I tried to stick um, women down in that small place in my heart because surely relationships would fit. And I tried my hardest to stick women into that small place, and they wouldn't fit. Now, it's not because they were big women. They just wouldn't fit. <laughs> I tried to stick popularity, people's acceptance, you name it, and you could probably nod your head because you've done it or doing it as well. Surely it would fit. Until I went to a chapel service just like, just like this, except it's just for football guys, and I sat in the back, 
And the chaplain said, gentlemen, and one out of every one of you going to die. And you'll stand in front of God. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I knew all those, I knew those stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I knew the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I knew the story of Jonah. I, guess what? I even knew the story of Jesus. I knew that D- Jesus died on the cross, and I knew that he died on the cross for me. Um, I knew it here, but I had missed it here. And that day in that chapel service, there was a, there was a transformation that took place. That, that it went from being just Jesus my Savior. He's everyone's Savior. He died for everyone. Everyone. But he became more than just my Savior. He became Lord of my life. And when somebody is Lord of your life, they dictate everything that you are about. He became Lord of my life in that chapel service. If you're willing, can make me clean. And Jesus reached out and he touched him. Jesus touched me on that day. Touched me. I lead a, I led a Bible study with police officers. It was about seven police officers that I would meet with weekly. And it, this, this one guy was just having a hard time getting it. He was having a hard time understanding what the gospel is all about. And I, I remember just giving him an illustration. It's like, okay, if I'm going down the expressway, if I'm going down the expressway and the speed limit is 70, and the police officer pulls me over and I'm going 100, if I'm going 100, the police officer comes to my door, and here's how this is going to go. He's going to say, Mr. Morgan, or excuse me, sir, license and registration. And I'm going to give him the license and registration. He's going to look at it and say, Mr. Morgan, you were going 100 in a 70. And I'm going to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. If the police officer is just, if he really wants to do his job, what must the police officer do? He must give me a ticket. If he's just, he must give me a ticket. So the police officer writes this ticket. And I'm explaining this to the person. He writes the ticket, and he says, Mr. Morgan, this ticket is going to run you about $120. And he reaches in to give me the ticket. And when I reach to grab it, he pulls it back. And he reaches in his wallet, and he pulls out $120. He says, the ticket's going to run you about $120, but here's the money. I paid your debt. So now the police officer is just because he did his job, but yet he's gracious that he paid my debt. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. That he reached out and touched me. That he paid my debt. This is a picture of Calvary before Calvary's even here. And he reached out and touched him. He said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy Left him. Think about that for a moment. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Do you think this person got up different than the way they laid down? Oh, without a doubt. I believe this person probably got up, and if this person had a wife, he was beelining to his wife. He was beelining to his kids. He was beelining to church. He wanted to get close to fellowship again. He was excited about Life. He was never, ever 
the same because he was once lost and now he has been found. There is something special about this book. That, that this man named Jesus died and lived a perfect life for me and you. That the blood that ran down his body was an atonement and a sacrifice for our sins. Past, present, and future. This man was never the same. Fishers of men. A leper. A paralytic. And a tax collector. This is what we have signed up for to find. When we come together as a group, that's why I think that monasteries and certain things are just unbiblical. Where just people just come and they just, they just learn and they just stay there. We are called to learn to go out. To go out into the neighborhoods. To have contact with people. I'm going to get a little uncomfortable. They don't look like us. They may not look like us. Tony Campolo was a preacher and evangelist, a teacher travels throughout the, the country. He goes into this diner and he's sitting down and he's eating his food when all of a sudden a lady comes in with high boots and a short skirt. And when she approaches Tony Campolo, she says, this is what I'll do for $100. This is what I'll do for $150. And Tony Campolo says, why don't you just sit and have a conversation? This lady sits down and she's starting to have this conversation with Tony Campolo and it comes to find out that it's this lady's birthday. And Tony Campolo still is engaging in this conversation. And then what he says, he says, ma'am, I'm going to leave for about five minutes. If you're here when I get back, I'll give you another $100. The lady said, sure. Tony Campolo bolts out of the restaurant. He goes down the street. He walks into the store. He gets something. He's walking out. And when he walks back into the diner, he hits the light with his elbow. And he's holding this birthday cake with candles and he starts singing happy birthday and the whole diner churns in and they start singing this song to this lady the lady starts to cry she blows out the candles as everyone starts to leave tony campolo's walking out of the diner and the the owner of the diner says where do you go to church he says i guess i go to the church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes I don't know where you stand on that pendulum. But that is a man that showed the love of Christ. I don't know what the message said. I don't know if they had any other contact with one another. But I do know that that lady had to say to herself, wow, that person cared to love me right where I'm at. My, um, my grandfather is probably one of the most influential people in my life. Um, I remember on this occasion, I take my, at the time, I think Taylor was two years old, I come into the grandma's house and grandpa's house, and we eat this breakfast that only a, only a breakfast that grandma could make. And we eat that breakfast, and we're going over to the other room, and as we walk into the other room, my grandfather had this recliner that you would probably start up in a position like this, and you just hit this button and slowly take you back into a relaxed position. Well, he gets back in the back in this relaxed position, and um, I remember him having this stare on his face. 
And I said, Grandpa, are you okay? Grandpa, you're all right. Grandma, call 911. And I remember going over and scooping him up out of that recliner and laying him down on the ground. And I remember getting over top of him. I remember getting close to his mouth to see if I could feel the breath coming out of his mouth. I couldn't. So I remember pinching his nose, tilting his head back, breathing into his mouth, getting on top and pushing on his chest. One of the phrases that my grandfather would always say as he got older was, too soon it would be too late. You know, almost, almost that he would say it so many times, it almost became irritating. That, you know, Grandpa, yeah, I've heard that seven times now. I remember the ambulance coming, dropping that stretcher down, putting him on the stretcher, carrying him out. And you know what I was thinking when he was carted out? Man, the old man, the old man knew what he was talking about. And maybe he was not repeating it so much because something was wrong with him. Maybe he was repeating it because I didn't get it the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. So maybe he knew what he was doing. I got a chance to, um, to preach my grandfather's funeral a couple of days after that. And the whole, the whole message was four things that my grandfather taught me. And the first thing that my grandfather taught me was um, marry God's best. And, man, I did. And she's the most godly woman I've ever met. And she looks good, too, man. God bless me with that. <laughs> Second thing my grandfather taught me is sin will take you where you don't want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sin. The third thing that my grandfather taught me is um, a person's Bible that's fallen apart, their life isn't. There's many times that I'd go over my my grandfather's house and, and it's, I'd pick up his Bible and Romans would fall out. And you'd have to tuck Romans back in. Um, and as the family came over after his funeral, you, somebody wants the bookcase, somebody wants the kitchen table, somebody wants this, somebody wants that. Give me that Bible. I'll take that. And the last thing that my grandfather taught me is too soon it will be too late. I just think about it. Chew on that for just a second. Too soon it will be too late. You can fill in the blank with any little equation going on in your world right now. Too soon it will be too late to really commit to being a spiritual couple. Too soon it will be too late to fix your marriage. Maybe there's some marriages that are on the rocks. Too soon it will be too late. Too soon it will be too late for a um, mom and dad to reach out to a son that maybe went south, east, west, north. They're just, they're not on the right path. But too soon to be too late to reach out. Maybe you've been arguing for so long you forgot what you're arguing about. And maybe if we just let go of the need to be right. Too soon to be too late for a son or a daughter to reach out to mom and dad. Just repent. Sorry for being disobedient. Sorry I made your life hell. Please forgive me. Too soon it will be too late to truly give your life to Christ. I mean, will you truly give your life to him? Will you surrender your life of your own and you give it to him? That's what faith is. 
Faith is jumping. I didn't use this the first service, but here it is. is it's, I was always impressed with those African impala animals. The African impala is just a small-looking gazelle, kind of like a, uh, almost like a deer. But what they do is that the African impala can jump 10 feet high, and it can jump 30 feet across. 10 feet high, 30 across, but yet they keep it in a zoo by a three-foot by three-foot box with no top on it. And I'm thinking in my mind that surely the, all they'd have to do is just jump out. But the African impala will never jump unless they can see where it's going to land. That's not faith. We jump where we push all of our chips in the middle and say, I'm all in. Maybe too soon it'll be too late to get plugged into this church. Yes, you attend, but you need it. You need it in this body to equip. It's not just pastor's job. It's, it's all of us, that we can all play a role in this. That if we all start to disciple and do what the Bible commands us to do and trust these things to people who will be able to teach others also, this church will double, triple, quadruple. Had to extend it. Had to have three services. Sorry about that. But too soon it will be too late. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Christ. But what I want to do is spend about 30 seconds of just silence. And 30 seconds is going to seem like 10 minutes. But I would love for you to take an audit with your life, our life, and just see where we're at. And say, Lord, here I am. Speak. And whatever the voice of the Lord commands us to do, that we act. And then we jump. And then they're going to come and they're going to play some music. Pastor's going to stand up front. It's going to be a, an invitation for you to respond. That's imperative for all of us is to respond to a message when the Lord speaks to us. So let's spend about 30 seconds and just do a little audit with our life. Lord, that silence is awkward. Silence is when you speak. Father, I pray uh, for each and every one of us that, Lord, it's possible that we can try to climb this ladder of success only to get to the top and realize that our ladder against us is the wrong roof. God, I pray that we will not put our faith and trust in things of this world because this is not our home. God, we're just passing through. God, I pray for marriages. I pray for um, families. I pray for um, jobs and careers. God, there are a lot of us that feel isolated. But Lord, there had to come a point in time in the leper's life when he said enough is enough. And he lays at the feet of you. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can, you can make me clean. And God, I, I would just think that there are some people in here today that they need a touch from you. Not from me, not from pastor, but from you. And Father, this is not their lucky day. This is their ordained day by you. That God, you will reach down, you will touch us, 
and you will make us clean. And therefore, we will never be the same. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.